0: Welcome back to Los Nazareno. Bienvenido, um, Vicente. Welcome back. All
1: right. So uh, we got a fun topic and an awesome guest with us today. Uh, we have David Dalt, um, PhD. Yeah. Are there any other letters we should throw after your name to, yeah, to, to bolster your ego? Uh, no. Uh,
2: <laughs> I mean, I... I so, yeah, the 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 I, I have I've got like I've got kind of an alphabet soup after my name but the PhD <laughs> is the one that
1: people just pay attention to so. Okay. <laughs> um so David is a professor of Christian spirituality at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University Chicago. Um he hosts the radio show Things Not Seen um which usually is a and somewhere on NPR sometimes? So it, it's distributed by the Public Radio Exchange,
2: which is an NPR kind of adjacent uh, ad- uh, sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that it necessarily gets on any NPR stations except sporadically. So occasionally okay. at 10 p.m. on Tuesday nights in Toledo, Ohio, we'll get picked up. Right. But, we, but <laughs> we we are broadcast here in Chicago on uh, the largest progressive talk station in the nation, WCPT. Very proud of that. So
1: awesome. And, and it's yeah. also download on podcast form. Yeah, too. absolutely. Um, and then David's also the co-host of the Francis Effect podcast, which is we are, we're two, we're two for three this season for yeah. uh, crossovers with the Francis effect. So man, I don't know if we'll be able to get Heidi, but <laughs> um, so David, welcome to Los Nazarenos. <laughs> it is a pleasure to be here with the Nazarenos. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were, so David put out a tweet like a month ago and it's like, I've got weird takes on spirituality. It was, the gist of it and invite me on your podcast and so i just wrote booked and so (laughs) what we kind of settled on was the weird bible um and david from following you, you i know you've got some projects with the bible going on right now so um yeah so we just the weird bible weird faith weirdness in general i think is the the theme today so uh so let's, we can just dive right in and um, you want, you want to shoot the
0: first topic out there, Kerwin? <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, most definitely. And I think I, I love this, right. Just because it, it really blends into, I mean, weird doesn't necessarily mean bad. Right. And and we love oh, yeah. that. And so, um, yeah, well, question number one, what, what makes the Bible, you know, weird, what makes it different? You know, why, why is it, uh, you know, so amazing. And then also like, People might not necessarily understand it.
2: You mean, besides the fact that it was written by tribal peoples in the Bronze Age? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> nary an iPhone in sight?
0: I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You mean they didn't type it on iOS 9? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> they couldn't go on to the USCCB to see all the books already.
2: Well, and, and you're, you're beginning to touch on some of the weirdness, because part of the weirdness that I play with is the stories that we tell about this book, and the way in which we kind of make, or the we, I'm using very broadly here, but the mm-hmm. way some people kind of turn the Bible into, for want of a better term, a kind of magic book, where mm-hmm. they either, they do kind of bibliomancy, or, you know, I'm, I'm writing a, a, a book right now, and one of the chapters, I go on this extended... Uh, rabbit hole, because Franklin Graham, a few months back, tweeted out and said, the Bible is the absolute standard for all truth at all times for every people. I don't even know what to do with a <laughs> statement like that. Like that. Like, and so I, I write like 10 pages on that, and I hope that the editor will let it stay in the book, because it's I'm just trying to figure out what the man means when he says this. So I think that a lot of people approach the Bible with... Um, with kind of a, a different approach than they would with any other book and that mm. already makes it weird. I mean if we yeah. want to just talk about the weirdness of the bible that's the one thing is is you know I'm sitting here with kind of three bibles open in front of me and they're all different versions they all kind of have you know they they come from different publishers they say different things and one of the things that I I'm constantly trying to point out to people is that there's not really one bible but there's like mm. bibles yeah. so mm. i mean there's a lot of places where we
1: could start gentlemen well, what, how about we start with that God wrote it in English in uh, 1607 or whatever that date was. <laughs> so,
2: I mean, I'm kind of loaded for bear on that one. So the what you've just mentioned is picked up by the British Israelists. You guys mm. know about this?
1: I, I don't maybe like I've heard it but I don't know anything about it. Okay, so so
2: British Israelism is a kind of fringe Christianity that is connected with what we call Christian identity which is a white supremacist reading of Christianity mm. and the thesis is basically that the Davidic bloodline is uncorruptedly carried through the House of Windsor in mm. England. And that that when we have uh, the the King James translation, that's actually the most pure and proper translation. It's actually more accurate than any Greek or Hebrew we might have. Wow. So say the British Israelists, and so, and and the Jews are white. I mean, this is this is um, the kind of this is the kind of payoff from that. So it's it's a way of reading all kind of color out of the Bible. So yeah, I mean, there are definitely people that think that the Bible was uh, kind of perfected in its English form. I'm not one of them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and those those who come to that kind of conclusion, I think that there's a pretty nasty politics that
1: follows that. Oh yeah. One, one thing that me and Kerwin often talk about is how like the richness of other languages, translations of the Bible, like uh, most definitely. Uh, I think one thing uh, we were talking about a while back was like, um and the word became flesh in English versus like, and the verb became meat in mm-hmm. Spanish.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, and so I think like that's yeah, and we 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 think about it, and like even within like our prayers in different languages, if we think about that, right? So we did the whole thing about like the our Father. And how like, you know, it's like it, it, it's, there's, it's the same message, but it's, we use different words that kind of capsulate different emotions behind what's being said. And so then mm-hmm. we take that and that's just, and our father is just the one prayer, right? A small piece of the Bible that it's given. And then we look at it throughout all of the books in the Bible and all the different times it's been translated. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs>
2: One of the most profitable things I do with my students is I invite them, especially if they're international students, to bring their their language Bible into the conversation, and I have learned so much from my Portuguese students and my mm-hmm. Spanish-speaking students for exactly the reasons that you're
1: saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so do you think, like, some of the—maybe some of the weirdness that has developed over um, the centuries with is, like— by virtue of translation besides besides the like the original text and it's the foreignness of its stories (laughs) withholding um just like how when we look at the bible through a lens like or or i guess we're we're bringing our hermeneutic to our interpretation in the language that it's translated to and it's all these layers and it, it the bible or at least reading the bible i guess you could say is a quite the casserole. (laughs) Well, when I'm hearing your question, it it seems, and I
2: may be mishearing it, so please correct me, but I'm hearing a kind of assumption in your your question that if we could just kind of get rid of the hermeneutic the Bible would read normally— And I want to remind you and listeners that we're talking about a book where donkeys talk,
1: bushes talk.
2: (laughs) And in the book of Mark, you've got ghosts and demons walking around. So Mm -hmm. even in its most plain sense, this is a book that has some pretty
1: fantastical things in it. Yeah. I think what I was getting at was like us projecting our own weirdness into the text. And that we've been doing that maybe through translation for two millennia or more <laughs> yeah but I'd, I'd love to
2: hear uh what kind of weirdness you think is weirdness like flesh that oh
1: out yeah for yeah me. um gosh see i i my my well, mind like, is i thought oh, you, like go you ahead. brought up
0: some great examples is like the talking donkey the burning bush the sea parting <laughs> you know like all of these different things that if you if you know you take that bible today you know 2021 and you read through it you're like yeah this doesn't make sense no it it, I, it doesn't apply like there's just like no sense in this because these are fairy tales or or
1: yeah I, and i think what i'm getting at is like when whatever age you're reading in it like you're gonna maybe the story and its meaning might change a little mm-hmm. given the person or the age or the culture um so yeah i think I think that's kind of my general like headspace in this moment of like how that affects how we read the Bible affects what we think it is and what it does.
2: <laughs> I couldn't agree more, but I, I want to stick with this for a second and kind of turn the question back on both of you mm-hmm. because we've just established, as Kerwin said, that this is a book where weird things happen. Uh, you know, it's it's almost fairy tale like, and yet I venture to say we are three believers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I speaking for myself, I'm now kind of 25 years into a commitment to Christ. I have dedicated my life to being, for want of a better word, a public Christian. Like I teach this stuff, I talk mm-hmm. about this stuff on the radio, mm-hmm. and so my question to you is: Given the fact that the book doesn't necessarily hold up to modern scrutiny, what are we doing
1: here? Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in your answers. Oh, yeah. Do you want to take a stab first, Kerwin? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: I mean, like, what what still brings me here is I think the fact that when when I read it and when I see that I I see a message of 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 compassion and I see a message of understanding mm-hmm. and I see a message of, of of inclusivity and I think that's what keeps me going. You know, it's like, yes, you know, there was. A, a tribe or group of individuals that were you know seen as less than but you know their their cries were hurt and so their cries were hurt so much that you know a person was able to participate you know because of their faith you know because of what was happening because you know and so that's that's i think for me that's what that's that's why i still read that's why i still believe that's why i'm here
1: yeah i Kerwin, you gave me more ideas because I was going to go somewhere like, I mean, the first place my mind went was because I'll sit there in my, and one of my general thoughts is like, it's not, you don't have, well, this is a very broad stroke um, to say like a strong faith is a faith that is always wrestling with doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in my moments where I'm like, i think i come back to christ as a center but like in sort of a Tehardian sense where i'm like in the uh, because like this idea of like ultimate reality and like god being like or christ being the pure essence of reality like the i am who i am like and i ponder oh god is <laughs> <laughs> period and then and then i make the jump and it's like and somehow that pure reality which is also love became a human being and like <laughs> and um but then also i i would just also echo what kerwin says and i i think one thing that can make me comfortable is like um the church's document dei verbum like has some lines in there that's like okay that i can ups, i can like have a way to think about the absurdities (laughs) and like and and that it's like we're it's like all all of that stuff yeah okay but we're we're pointing you to christ like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and so that i can read the gospels and be like this this is the guy that i want to be like and if this is what god is like then i'm on board with god so i think that's my that's my meandering thought around that (laughs) yeah (laughs) What about for you, David?
2: (laughs) So, I mean, I was an atheist for 19 years, and that atheist still looks back at me in the mirror every day and basically says, you know, don't be a kook and don't be a jerk. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that, and so um, when I was growing up in the deep South, as an atheist, uh, anytime that a person pulled the Bible out at me it was to tell me that I was going to hell or to berate me. Like, I would have people cornering me as I was walking into the bathroom in elementary school. What's going to happen when you die, Dalt? Like, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until I was much later in life that I had the experience of someone uh, opening a Bible in front of me and not trying to use it as a weapon against mm-hmm. me. And so a lot of how I approach this, you know, I, I, I say to people when they bother to listen that I didn't become a Christian because of, a, of the Bigots, and I'm not staying here because of the bigots. And so, in in many ways, Kerwin, I'm kind of in the same ballpark as you. I mean. Part of my conversion story is a hymn from the Episcopal hymn book, uh, number 458. My song is love unknown, my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. I mean, to me, when I think about you know what really grabs me in this story, it's the fact that God chose me, even when I was at my most dissolute, to have a relationship with me. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what I want to share with people. That's mm-hmm. what I want to teach to people. And when, I, when I'm when i teaching people in, you know, Institute of Pastoral Studies to be better chaplains and, and better pastoral presences, part of what I'm saying to them is, you know, it's not your job to correct their doctrine. It's your job to, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. minister to their souls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like, uh, that's a lot of what I come back to is... I've got plenty of training to argue about, you know, the minutia of faith. I just have no interest in it, you know. I, <laughs> I, I, think, you. <laughs> I think I think the Bible's a I think the Bible's a really interesting book to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that it's a magic book, and I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think that you know we're gonna we're gonna have any kind of documentary or uh, evidentiary kind of uh, appeal to people that don't believe this stuff. The only way that we're gonna actually appeal and win souls to to follow Christ is to show them a better love than the world has. Mm-hmm. And and to and so that's kind of what keeps me coming back to these things is just I want to figure out how these stories can help me love better and not be yeah. a bigot and not be a jerk and not be the kind of people that, you know, were whapping me over the head with the
1: Bible when I was a kid. Yeah. Would we consider it weird that there's a lot of bigots and jerks running around with the Bible and the the principal person they say to follow? Had a real big problem with bigots and jerks. <laughs> how are they reading the Bible? That's weird to me. How are they reading the Bible? And it's just, that's just going way over their head. <laughs> well, I've,
2: I've got a take,
0: but Kerwin, I'd be interested to hear your take. Yeah. So I think like that's uh, I don't know how how I would answer that. I mean, like the first thing immediately as as you were talking and as Justin was talking, I think about like so I teach religion at like the middle school level and i remember like my first year of teaching some kid brought out a bible and did exactly what he said david right it's just like and and that's that's what they did and the kid looked up to me and he was just like what 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 do we do here right like and my answer was definitely like hey like we this uh, i brought i brought it i was like this this is a book this isn't a weapon mm-hmm. we gather knowledge from here like any other book you know you wouldn't take this book and hurt people with it and so then why are we using its context and why are we using its words you know to to do that and so though they were though this individual was a lot, you know he was like a, a sixth grader or seventh grader he took a step back like i i didn't realize that that was like what we can do with the bible we can actually use it to show compassion and show love i thought as you thought you can use this book And we're supposed to push an agenda, an agenda that was given to me by the people that I look up to, by the people that raised me. And I, you know, and I grew up to think that this was right. And so it's, I don't know, like it 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 takes, I think how you said, David, it takes individuals that are willing to listen when they have to listen Mm -hmm. to show them that, that love and that compassion and not, and not shove it down their throats. You know, it's just like they you know, they have enough people that do that. And so uh, I don't know, like I don't know if I even answered the question now, but I just feel like it just it it takes it takes somebody to show you a different interpretation in order for you to really understand it. You know, so like maybe you don't know and like, i
2: I really like the answer that you just gave and that I mean so in real time, you you had that unfold before you, and you were able to intercede and actually kind of give a different path to that kid, Like, and the kid was able to receive it. I think that, that maybe the kid's parents might not be able to receive it, and that's that's part of the difficulty here. Hmm, right. but, but what I really like is that you didn't disinclude that kid because they were reading things wrong. Right. You found a way to bring the kid back into the community. I really like that
1: yeah i i think what i don't know my my mind just goes to like the like an association and i don't i don't even know when to like pinpoint this but like Somewhere along the line, things being too associated with power and the um those in charge. Which Jesus, he, even though he's in charge, <laughs> he didn't care about being in charge. <laughs> and, and I, I'm making, I, I just made just a, so big round in charge of him, but Jesus was not. Jesus is not into the tiny, tiny in charge, which we human beings get obsessed with, I guess. So, I mean, I don't know, Roman Empire, Inquisitions, uh, all all the greatest hits of uh, <laughs> uh, pe- Christians not acting like the person they say they believe in. Um, I think it's like, uh, well, uh, all right. Here's, I guess my real take um, is that I, I wholeheartedly believe for every loud mouth jerk with a bible in their hand there is a thousand quiet saintly people who are doing the real work in their lives with their families or with their communities and we just don't hear from them because they are meek and humble (laughs) so i i guess that's kind of my meandering take on it
2: what what do you think david <laughs> well so i've been i've been sitting here kind of listening to your answers and i i really i so i think about this a lot and i reflect on the the kind of situation that we're describing a lot because in my own trajectory so I was an atheist and then I became a theist and then I became eventually a Jesus lover and a Jesus follower but in the process of that you know I I was I was hungry for instruction and <laughs> so some of the instruction that I came into initially was uh, I I was listening to a lot of evangelical radio, and that gave me a very particular view about what Christianity was supposed to be like. And then I went to graduate school, and I discovered John Calvin and the Institutes of the Christian Church, and uh, I, I became kind of a, a hyper-Calvinist because I really loved the logic of the system, <laughs> and I, I kind of fell into uh, a kind of... Uh, for want of a better term, a kind of Rushdunian Christian reconstruction kind of approach to things, I became what I now think of as as kind of a virtue fascist, right? So okay. <laughs> be, because because this is true and because it's right, we have we have the obligation to make sure that other people follow it and we are obligated to use force to make sure that other people follow it. I became a crusader, you mm-hmm. know, in my in my kind of theoretical positioning. I've moved away from that. You know, I'm I'm in a very different position now, but I definitely understand how people can get there and they get there for all the right reasons, you know, in the same way that Darth Vader, you know, Anakin Skywalker, spoiler, becomes Darth <laughs> Vader for all the right reasons right what? he wants to save people he wants to do he wants to he wants to he wants to protect his mother and then he wants to protect his wife and he ends up going to the dark side mm-hmm. i think that for all the right reasons because people zealously love god they end up falling over to kind of the dark side of power mm-hmm. and so as i said i think about this a lot and so the position that i have come to recognizing my own will to fascism
1: Mm -hmm.
2: is that I I now, you know, when I talk about it on Twitter or whatever, I say that I have no Christian content, and let me explain what I mean by that. That I don't grasp onto Christianity as a label that means something. Mm -hmm. Rather, I think about my Christianity in this way. If I am to be a Christian, I can't call myself that. The only people that can Mm -hmm. call me that are the poor or my enemies. Mm -hmm because they're looking at how I'm interacting with them. The poor look at how I treat them, and my enemies look at how I treat them, and they get to say whether or not I'm Christian, which means, am I living differently than the world mm. has called me to live, which is to ignore the poor and to kill my enemies? Mm-hmm. If I'm able to live differently, and my and my and and the poor around me and my enemies feel the love of Christ in my presence, then yeah, maybe I might be a Christian. But as soon as I start flipping it around and saying, no, no, my bishop says I'm a Christian, I say I'm mm. a Christian, I got it, screw the rest of y'all i'm going to become a fascist again and Mm -hmm. that that's always the 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 danger for i think anybody is when we forget the poor and we forget the call to love our enemies i
1: mean that's i'm just throwing down that
2: and i'm interested in what y'all think about it
1: i i love that take of i can't it's the way other people judge me that or judge my actions that determine whether i am what
0: i hope to be (laughs) Mm -hmm. it always comes back to like this this thing and my wife tells me, she's like, are you humble? Do we have to call yourself humble? Girl? Like, and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like, if I have to continuously, you know, say that I am, um, maybe I'm not, you know, like, and so I think that's the greater approach. you know, if I continuously label myself as a Christian, or if I do what things, you know, it's like, I think letting other people decide that, you know, you do what you know is to be right, which is taking care of the marginalized at all times, you know. It's the poor. It, it, everybody, you know, like everybody does tomorrow's life, and then you know, let your actions again. Like your actions speak more than anything mm. that you'll you'll ever say for sure.
2: Now, the counter that I get on this when I do Uh get pushback is people will say, well, no, it doesn't matter what your enemies say. It matters what Christ thinks about you. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I I think that there's merit to that pushback. The problem is, and this is the other thing that I think about constantly, is I can't figure out the mechanism whereby I can actually find Christ talking to me about how Christ feels about me unless I actually take Matthew 25 seriously and I actually take the (laughs) Sermon on the Mount seriously. Like, if I don't go to where Christ said that he was going to be, which is in the face of the poor or (laughs) in the face of my enemies or in the face of the people that I wish would disappear, like, that's where Christ told us that that Christ would be showing up. And so if I'm not finding Christ in the black trans woman, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm not finding Christ in the Iraqi, if I'm not finding mm-hmm. Christ in, you know, in in the Republican, let's mm-hmm. let's get real here. Yeah, yeah. Then For I'm sure. not finding Christ. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not I'm not actually loving Christ in those people that I wish would disappear. Yeah. Or that or that or that my society tells me
1: that I should wish would disappear. I think the the holy See needs to redo the lectionary where that, where matthew twenty five comes up like four times a year <laughs> and add a cycle d <laughs> um, um just on a we'll we'll get back to weirdness specifically in a sec um it, david do you so i i feel like my experience kind of echoes a little bit of what you said going from like the the um stringent christian fascist i'm going to i need to save your soul by force um to a more pastoral maybe more disciple focused actual listening to what jesus said and trying to do it um i kind of feel like i had the same experience because i converted about 10 years ago and luckily went to
0: uh
1: theology a good theology school (laughs) a couple (laughs) years after my conversion and was rightly squashed in my apologetic um notions but anyways um (laughs) do you feel like that in your experience or and maybe this is an open question like that that's kind of a thing that maybe a path we all follow where we it's like a, this is right, I'm certain about it too. like, I'm going to do my best to love everyone and actually do what this God I believe in said. <laughs>
2: uh, so I mean, there's a lot there, and my experience is anecdotal, like Mm -hmm. I haven't done any kind of systematic work to get an answer to your question. I can only sort of talk about my own experience at seminary and then in graduate school, and Mm -hmm. then kind of watching the people around me. I mean, the the scriptures tell us that the people that were surrounding Jesus were kind of not getting with the program the way that they needed to. They (laughs) were constantly fighting (laughs) about who's going to be at the right hand, or making temples when they don't need to be making temples, those kinds of things. Um, you know, for me, my my background before I became a person of faith was I studied philosophy, and I was very committed to a kind of secular and kind of scientistic view of the world. Um, and so I I very much like the kind of logical, sequential kind of things that come up in something like Calvin's Institutes, right? I, I really like the systematic nature of it. And I think that f- a lot of the theobros and again this is just anecdotal so <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'm i'm sorry if i'm caricaturing some really earnest theobros out there but there are a lot of you know theological uh, reply guys that really get into the kind of like logical fallacies and the way that mm-hmm. you know the, the the kind of trap language and and that kind of stuff and and i think that there is a there is a machismo about mm-hmm. that there's there's a mm-hmm. sense of mastery that you can get a sense of of yeah. power that comes from kind of knowing how the mm-hmm. dice fall and any time that christians get kind of wrapped up in their own power and their own majesty and might we should be cautious
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's definitely it's a temptation for me constantly uh, and and one that I I have seen when I went to a Presbyterian seminary and then when I went to a Methodist graduate school and and when I when I hang out with certain Catholics, I see that tendency come up again and again and again. Yeah. Patriarchy and power mm-hmm. and mastery all kind of mixing together into a kind of a toxic brew. But again, this is anecdotal, and yeah. so if either of you want to push back against that or, or talk about a different experience, I'm very open to hearing it.
1: I you know I actually had a really. Um, so i was listening to sam roach's um folk phenomenology and his conversation with trent horn from catholic answers and for for whom for many years i just i couldn't stand like if I, if catholic answers ever like came on the radio i'd listen for five minutes and and i and i would do my own theo bro and like wrong wrong you got that wrong wrong that's wrong it, that's not how that works and. But then, but I I feel like it's almost like the, at least in respect to Trent Horn, the format seems to, like the apologetic format seems to pigeonhole him. Because when he was in this long form conversation with um, Sam Rocha, I was like, wow, I I think I like Trent Horn again. He's like, isn't coming off as a total um, douchebag. he's like coming off as like a real thoughtful um like and but i guess that's the thing like with a with a format that wants to have quick answers is you cannot be pastoral in sound bites (laughs) so that that's that way that's the thing that comes to mind as any like pushback is like when the curtains are down when the when the stage lights are off that maybe it's a little different but. I I don't know my my anecdotal experience I think is similar to yours David. Uh,
0: I don't know like mine was is different. Um, Cradle Catholic right so like I was in it for a long time but um, of course you go to college and then you're just like well is this really me or not and I you know I wandered for a while right and so. I dated people of different faiths and I went to go check out their faith, you know, like, and at the end, I was just like, oh, I'm very happy with my faith and I'm very happy with what I believe in. And it it was just this, like, it almost was just like a reinforcement of like, yes, I love my faith and I love everything about it. And I love the compassionate components of it. And I love the church component of it. And is it perfect? No. You know but uh is it is it can it be most definitely you know and what steps can 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 we take to to reach that that apex you know it's just like that for sure and then and then going again like like justin said going to fsc and then having my mind blown for sure like <laughs> i was I, I was just helping out as a catechist for confirmation then the kids were asking questions i had no idea i was like ah. Well, i don't know like you just have to believe okay like this is this is what my grandma told me this is what my mom told me this is what the priest told me like you just and they're like okay and then i was like if i'm going to continue doing this i i'd have to know a little bit more you know and then i went and then i was like i don't know anything
1: <laughs> all, all the all the friars put put us in our place and then oh yeah <laughs> I I love that experience because it's like, uh, this was my experience at FST. It's like, they, you're an egg and then they smash you on the table. And (laughs) then over two years, they put you back together. And yeah. um, Yeah. Um, So maybe before we want to share our, um, our weird Bible stories. um, So, and this is kind of, so after I thought of this question, David, like I wrote underneath it, um, a spirituality of weirdness, and so, like, how might Christian or parentheses whatever you want to put in there, um, how might how might we benefit from embracing the weirdness of the Bible and embracing the weirdness within in ourselves? And I'll say, I think everyone is a closet weirdo.
2: <laughs> so there's there's a scene in the Marvel movie, The Avengers, or oh, right. it's not, it's not <laughs> the, I, I no, sorry, it's Avengers Age of Ultron. Okay. It's Avengers Age of Ultron. Okay. And, uh, and it's in the third act and again, spoilers, but it's in the third act and uh, Sokovia is being lifted you know, higher and higher into the air. The Scarlet Witch is kind of overwhelmed by the entire situation and she's, she's hiding out in this kind of bombed out house and Hawkeye is there with her. And Hawkeye says, the city, the city is flying. We're fighting robots. I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. That's kind of how I feel about Christianity. Right. Like, like I like to lean into the weird. It's like, no, a guy got up from the dead. Uh-huh. He's he's walking around. And he's not. And I get rings. him in a cracker. <laughs> I get him in a cracker. You want to come see this? Come see this. And 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 to to kind of to piece this back to something that you said a moment ago, Kerwin. One of my best friends from uh, my days down in Memphis is a is a wonderful Catholic priest by the name of uh, Bruce Cinquegrani, and he comes from just a long long. Line of Italian cooks. And he, he, anytime that we get together, he takes me out for Italian meals and he shows me all the things that, that are going on with it. And he just, he. I have no connection to this culture at all, but he loves it so much that I begin to love it. Mm-hmm. And and all the flavors and all the things that are, that are different from what I'm used to. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Like, it's not a matter of saying you must love Italian food and no other food, but rather, isn't this weird and neat and doesn't this taste good? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you love to, like, have some of this. Come on. And just letting your love kind of bring other people in but but we the love springs partly from the fact that we're loving something that is really odd and weird but isn't all love like that mm-hmm. like I can't explain to you why I love my kids or I love my my wife they're they're strange people and they're my people mm-hmm. you know so th- these are some of the things that I really I, I really think about is that you know we we almost try and make Christianity too plain. Mm a lot yeah. of times and and we try and make it kind of live live with the world in a way that it's just not designed to again kind of talking donkeys talking <laughs> talking plants and uh, guys that get up from the ground from the dead that are not zombies like these you know these are important things mm-hmm. and they're weird they're weird but again this is my take i'd be interested in what you all think yeah.
1: about UK money <laughs>
0: Give me like five minutes <laughs> all right i'll, I'll yeah, nobody I'll can
2: shut down a conversation yeah. like I can yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll jump
1: in uh, where you left off, David, when you speaking of the resurrection, and i think and I think it's so antithetical to i don't I, maybe not how humans think, but maybe how Western people think um and maybe how Western people have thought for the past few centuries. If I, if I want to be super narrow about it, but <laughs> the fact that the wounds are still there when he rises from the dead, like, which says, like, which tells you, like, look, my, this horrible thing that happened to me is, it's okay. It's not okay, but like, I'm okay. And I have the proof that I'm okay. Like, my, I'm still standing, mm-hmm. even though, I have suffered and I am suffering. And like, I think that is if we want to frame weirdness and antithetical to the way people go about things, (laughs) I think that is fantastically weird and has such a fantastic message that like, I'm okay. And if I'm okay, you're okay. Like, um, and yeah, so I, I, and jesus hung out with all the weirdos and outcasts and none nobody from like what what anyone would determine as normal society like that that's i mean like the question if Jesus came back today um first we would end up killing him again but he would be and probably because he'd be hanging out with the black trans woman <laughs> like that's that's who he'd be hanging out with the outcasts so um but yeah that's yeah I think Christianity's a weird religion, and we need to let, we need to kind of uh not varnish it so much <laughs> I want to be
2: careful here, though, because we can fall into then the Franklin Graham kind of school Mm. from that tweet earlier and say, and yes, because we embrace the weirdness of our religion, we must discount all the rest of the things that the world has told us are real and true. Mm -hmm. That's not the claim that I'm making. Like, I want my own little fiefdom of weirdness. You know, I think that secular society allows me to have my own little fiefdom of weirdness with my with my people, but I don't get to then f- again. It's the power thing. I don't get to flip that fiefdom of weirdness yeah. and
1: make it <laughs> you ubiquitous must be to weird. everybody. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Did you did Thanks. you have enough time, Kerwin?
0: <laughs> I did not. <laughs> All right. But uh, what were you gonna say? Go ahead.
1: Oh, I just as a short tangent, like the my like my love of weirdness um in in uh, undergrad my had a really close friend actually the person me and my wife met through and if she if she was dating a new guy and we were all hanging out or at a party she would make him go and stand with me and my friends and we'd already be like eight layers deep in the most disturbing disgusting conversations possible <laughs> so in her litmus test for her boyfriend it's like if you can handle the weirdness that is my friends like these guys if you pass their test then I know you're okay for me
0: <laughs> I love that and I think I think that kind of like leaps us into like this next question about like now, we were talking about the Bible. We're talking, uh, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about the things that are, you know, putting people through these like weird tests and stuff like that. So, um, and we've talked about the burning bush and then the talking donkey and people waking up, you know, three days because you know you sleep, you don't die according to the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, uh, let's talk about like what are some of our favorite like Bible stories that we like to read or that we go to and stuff and. For sure. I and it was it's so funny because I was just talking about this today. I was like, my favorite story that I love is like when Jacob is like wrestling, you know, and I was just like I, I wrestled in high school. I wrestled a little bit in like in uh in college. And so I was just like, Oh, like, you know, wrestling and, and for me I thought it was like, you know, it's an actual like he's sweating, he's he's tired. He's, he's and you know, it's like it's like and sometimes you have to wrestle with your face. Sometimes it's not easy, it's it's not going to be always rainbows and butterflies you know so for me uh, that's that's my favorite story of the bible and there's a lot more that i go to but usually when when things get tough and i'm not ready for the day or, or whatever whatever happens it's like this you know what like it's it's okay man like it's it's okay you you know he did some sketchy stuff beforehand and you have to wrestle with that also you know but things are going to be okay so i I'd, I'd love to know what your favorite bible story is david and then justin too
2: Well, but before we get away from that, I've got to know when you come to that Jacob story, who do you Kerwin think that Jacob is wrestling with? Like when, if you were to put your money down on the table and say, this is who that character is, who is Jacob wrestling with there?
0: So when, when I read it, I always feel like he's wrestling with himself more than anything. Like that's, that's who I think he's wrestling with just because like, When I'm wrestling with anything, it's not even like, I feel like I already know the answer, but I'm trying to wrestle myself to convince myself Mm. that that's the answer that I want. You know what I'm saying? And so that's, that's, I mean, for me, you know, like that's, that's, that's how I, I, I read it.
2: My, my brain flashed to like Tyler Durden in Fight Club, though, where a person is kind of fighting themselves in kind of a, a way that's not, yeah, but I, but, but literally, I'm right there with you, yeah. because I've definitely been kind of in that moment of, sure. of struggle and, and all that, yeah. I, so I, I thought about kind of what my, what my weird uh, stories were, I will tell you that, unqualifiedly, my favorite New Testament book is the Gospel of Mark, precisely because it's got all of this kind of weird demon stuff Mm -hmm. in it. And and I and I love the fact that one of the markers that happens right at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, in terms of how the book is telling us that Jesus is divine, is that the beings from another world, from another realm, like look at him and say, "What in the blazes are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here." And he tells them, "Shut up." Yep. <laughs> I, I, I love those kinds of weird exchanges. Yeah. And then if and and if I'm thinking about the Old Testament, I mean, my favorite Old Testament book is the. The book about the prophet Amos, and uh, some of the weirdness that I find in the book of Amos is that I think that there's a very distinct and uh, kind of de- demonstrable parallel between Amos seven and eight and certain parts of the book of, Le- of Leviticus, particularly Leviticus nineteen. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I when I teach these books, I tend to I tend to teach those two pieces together because there's a point where you know Amos is saying. You know, Amaziah says to Amos, go home, prophet, we don't want you here, prophet. And Amos says, hey, hold on, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I am the tender of sycamores, mm-hmm. and I'm a, I'm a keeper of fig trees. And then he goes on to kind of talk about these things like the plum line, but then he also talks about this basket of ripe fruit. And what I what I do is I, I kind of show how the basket of ripe fruit ties in with the Leviticus nineteen uh, forbidding of picking up the gleanings at the edge of the field because you get the ripe fruit at the point where the fruit is kind of ready to fall from the trees. But these are people who have gone and they've even picked up the fruit that has fallen from the trees that's supposed to be there for the poor. And so and it, so I mean to me weirdness is both kind of zombies and demons <laughs> walking around that kind of weirdness, but also the weirdness when I when two books that aren't supposed to be talking to one another I can find them talking to yeah, one another oh yeah. and that happens to me all over the Bible. I love it when that happens. I love sharing that with students when that happens because you know the best way to read the Bible is to read it with other people and if you come on something that you don't understand to begin reading it with other parts of the Bible and to, to kind of find those those points of affinity. But Justin I'm interested in
1: what you're thinking yeah. too. What's weird for you here? Yeah so when I was trying when I was thinking of weird passages. I think what for me it's like the awkwardness of reading them in the 21st century is um, mm-hmm. um so like like Kerwin, your story is related to one of the ones I want to share, which is the fact that like that wrestling comes out of nowhere. It's just right. like it's just like <laughs> Jacob's doing his thing and it's like all right I'm standing here and then it's like oh this guy's got me and then like and and i don't know maybe i have the order out of whack but then it's like and then he's uh wakes up like wow this rock is the gateway to heaven it's like <laughs> <laughs> so it's like and, and i and i understand like the the redaction or or the the hypothetical redaction um, that um of the old testament but i, I love those like where the story's just like, we're smashing this in here and there's <laughs> nothing you can do about it. Um, so the one for me that like I really came to besides stuff like uh the description of God and his his chariots in uh the opening of Ezekiel, which we did a we did a dramatic reading of in That's season right. 2 <laughs> I, with <laughs> eyes on the wheels and
0: uh.
2: wheel in the sky keep on turning
0: yes david um, you're also a singer i yeah. see <laughs> you got that to your title <laughs> so the,
1: the one that i zeroed in on was um was when af- after um moses comes down the mountain from um his encounter with the burning bush and then he goes to Jethro. It's like, okay, I, I'm going to Egypt. And Jethro, okay, good luck. And then there, and then out of nowhere, it's like, and then God decided to try to kill Moses. And and, <laughs> and there's like a mudslide, and then and then Zephora comes and circumcises her son and touches Monet, uh, touches Moses' feet with the foreskin. And then God's like, all right, we're chill now. <laughs> In the, the and back to the story. It, like the line after that is, and then the Lord said to Aaron. You know? <laughs> it's the it's the awkwardness of some of the like <laughs> how the Bible has been stitched together. Um so the, that one popped out to me that it's just like out of nowhere, just <laughs>
2: Well, since we're mentioning Moses, I also, one of my candidates for a weird passage is where Moses says, God, I want to see you, and God says, Moses, you can't see me, and Moses says, God, I really want to see you, and God says, Moses, stick your head in the crack of this rock, and I'm going to run by you, and when when I tell you, you turn around and you can see my butt, And then and then... Then Moses does this and God's butt sunburns Moses. Like, I love that story. I don't know what that story means, but again, it's it's one of those things, right?
1: Yeah. That, that was one of our uh, Old Testament professors. He, we were reading uh, the Isaiah, Isaiah and the Prophets of Baal episode, and um, he says, like, the English doesn't actually like say what the Hebrew says it's like the Hebrews like when it's like maybe he's on a para adventure like the Hebrew is more like maybe he's taking a crap and that's why he can't <laughs> maybe ball is taking a crap and that's why he can't answer your prayers <laughs> it's like, like why can't we why can't we retain that in the English <laughs> although I guess uh, sometimes a number two can be an adventure but um, yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> um uh, for for those listening this
2: is just why you need to study original languages yeah. please for goodness <laughs> yeah. sakes learn hebrew and aramaic yeah. and
1: greek this is it'll do your heart good and your soul good yeah. aramaic
0: yeah <laughs> um, <putting> that one. <laughs> uh,
1: another one that comes to mind is uh when abram and sari go down to egypt and uh sarah they pretend to be brother and sister instead of husband and wife and uh, there, there's so many shenanigans within the subtext of that, that Just it, it's it's interesting to read the like exegesis of it and like the historical context of like pretending your wife is your sister but it's like from the 21st century lens it's like <laughs> say what
2: <laughs> and this is why I think you know when people start trying to get very literal about this and say it's a perfect book without error mm-hmm. it's 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 inspired you know 2 Timothy 3:16 it's all it's all you know perfect and whatever i i i i do like to push back against that for exactly the reasons that you all are suggesting and I think that it's better if you read it with the, the kind of um, humorous mm-hmm. take that we're taking mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. Like, of course, on the face, it's absurd, because it's telling you that you need to go deeper. The beginning of oh, Matthew sure. says 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then if you actually count the darn generations, it's 14 generations, 14 generations, 13 generations. <laughs> and either Matthew was wrong or God was wrong, or Matthew is saying to us, look a little deeper, kids, because what I'm telling you on the surface is not going to be
1: the entire mm-hmm. story. Right. And I think that it's much more interesting to read the book that way. Yeah, you, you, that brings up an interesting point um, that or it just comes in my head is, and, and I try to, this is something I've like harped on more lately, and maybe just in my own head, but <laughs> um, the way if we get to like when the way that like more fundamentalist readings of the Bible impact how non-believers understand the Bible. And like, so that's kind of been my thing lately. Is like, I want to teach you about the Bible, not to convert you, Mm -hmm. but to show you how intricate and like sophisticated this ancient text is because the way that it's being delivered to you through pop culture or through uh, more fundamentalist streams is not like the full picture, so that that's actually like something that's um, maybe I'll pick up that crusade after. I'm done with my dissertation, but <laughs> well, K- Kerwin,
2: I'd actually be interested in your take on this because you have mentioned that you are, you're uh, doing some education with like yeah. middle school age kids. Like this is exactly the moment when they're moving from concrete thinking to more abstract thinking. Right. I'd love to kind of hear about what some of your experiences are with that, with
0: them. Well, I think with, with the, uh, you know, with the study that I was able to receive for wh- where we went, uh, they they always take a step back and they're more uh, willing to listen to what I have to say just because it's like, this is not what we've heard for the years that we've been here. What do you mean? like? And, and so it really blows their mind where I'm just like, well, they're just like, well, you have to read this one specific thing or this one specific Bible and that's it because all the other ones are not that great. And I'm just like, first of all, like, Let's go to like, and so like I also have to be careful because I don't want to like overstep. Also, you know, because it's like I still work for a diocese, and I can't be saying too much stuff that parents might not align with and stuff. But, <laughs> so I'll, I'll pull up like websites that they, I know parents would be okay with, like the USCCB. I'm like, well, look at all of the different translations that we can use and are still approved as Catholic. you know. And so and like and so like I was just like all of these shows. Like it just goes to show you that there isn't one perfect way to read this or to understand this or to look at this. And so uh, one of the things that I love doing with them is that I'll, I'll I'll give them a Bible verse like one day and then I'll wait two weeks and I'll give them the same Bible verse and then they'll read it and they're like, we are looking at it in a different light because maybe something happened to them mm. or they might have experience something and then and i was like but it's the same bible and it, you know they're fifth graders so two weeks is a long time so they forget that they read that bible passage but i bring up you know i i save their responses. like well this is what you said two weeks ago and this is what you're saying now like you see how it changes and how like you have to continue looking at it and reading it and as you grow and as you get older you are going to see things with different life. and and it's all okay you know like and so that's I don't know. Like that's, that's been my approach to things. Um, and you know, I continuously remind them that like at the end of the day, no matter what, like Jesus loves them, God loves them. And that like, we will like, like even if it takes a long time, it's okay. Like, you know, as like I tell them, there's people like that are theologians or even folks. And it's like, it takes them a lot. They they continuously still have communication or relation with God. It doesn't end, you know, you're a long life. Um, participant in this like it's a relationship that doesn't stop Mm -hmm. that
2: illustration that you give where you give it them a verse and then two weeks later and they see it differently that's the holy spirit Mm -hmm. man. that's Mm -hmm. you know that's that's the holy spirit engineering things to be like yeah and and we're going to feed you Mm -hmm. at at various points along the way and the word is going to is going to continually be something that you can come back to and it will give you fresh insight and fresh wisdom it's a it's a
1: wonderful it's a wonderful illustration Yeah. yeah something that kind of building off of uh i think what you had said a couple minutes ago david um and this is also something that i it's actually some somebody asked me this and because sometimes i'll do some like one-on-one bible study spiritual accompaniment stuff and like the question was how can because so because like eh, i think it's in De verbum it kind of like says like some of these things are temporary and imperfect and and then but then like when it comes to images of god like we know that donkeys don't talk we know that or maybe they do we just don't <laughs> understand them maybe we <laughs> forgot their language um and so there's things that are like historical factual errors in the bible but do we have factual errors about god in the bible um to i i would say yes um but like i, I i'd love to hear your take on like divine inspiration but and of course that gets even more complicated bringing in that term but <laughs> like it, god uh, I don't know errors about God within a text that many feel is inerrant or divinely inspired
2: <laughs> and and so you're you're posing to me this question that when I answer it could very well bring down lightning <laughs> bolts on my head <laughs> right right, right. So, okay. weird ones. <laughs> So I I mentioned uh, earlier that in addition to studying theology, I've studied philosophy, and I I think a lot about uh, certain 20th century philosophers, in particular a man by the name of Richard Rorty, and one of the things that Rorty said was that the world doesn't contain truth, Mm. that the world kind of happens, and we find truth in our statements about the Mm. world. You know, and, and we, we we get to truth in language. We don't necessarily get to truth in our language corresponding to something in the world. Like, truth isn't out there, it's just the world is out there, and we language at it. And in that, we Mm -hmm. sometimes get to stuff that is more true. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be kind of a a basis for where I'm going with this, because I kind of feel the same way about the Bible. And this gets back to something we said much earlier in the conversation about why is it that that the bigots can use the Bible, and the loving people can use the Bible, and it's the same Mm -hmm. Bible. That's because it's a book, it's a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and and there's there's no book in the world that constrains how you use it. And here here's the strange illustration I make of that. I'm an older person than the both of you. I'm 50 years old. And so I remember when Steve Martin's first major motion picture came out. It was a it was a movie directed by Carl Reiner called The Jerk. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm glad that you I'm glad it's a reference that that, that hits I don't you. need so anything a at all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, there's a point where a, a a psychopath opens up a telephone book and randomly picks a name. And the name that he picks is that jerk character played by Steve Martin, Navin R. Johnson. He sticks his finger down on the telephone book and says, Die, Navin R. Johnson. Now, kids listening at home, a telephone book is something (laughs) that used to exist, where when you had landline telephones, you would not have any way to figure out what a person's telephone number was except to look them up in this big book. But a lot of times people will say, well, I could listen to a person read a telephone book and I would still be interested because the implication is that a telephone book contains no narrative and contains nothing that we would normally call a story. But what's interesting here is that in this particular example from this movie, The Jerk, this psychopath is is drawing a moral conclusion Mm -hmm. from a book that shouldn't have any kind of moral conclusion. Because whether to kill someone or not is a moral conclusion, Mm -hmm. and he's drawing it from something that is non-narrative, right? So any book can be used to draw any kind of moral conclusion is the point that I'm making. And so when we look at someone opening a Bible and realizing that God is telling them to kill someone or exclude someone. It's the same thing. Like psychopaths can read books. (laughs) Bigots can read books. And when they do, they come up with psychopathic conclusions Mm -hmm. and bigoted conclusions and loving people can read books, but it's not the book that's constraining them to be psychopaths or bigots or loving people. It's, it's this old Augustinian mm-hmm. thing, right? Their habits are pushing them in certain directions. So we need to look at catechesis. We need mm-hmm. to look at community. We need to look at habits around the book. We need to stop imagining that the book is going to do our loving for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my yeah, take. No, that's here.
1: that's awesome. I think you're yeah you're how we how we generally have it is cart before the horse. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. No, yeah.
1: that's that's awesome. That actually, um, that I don't know if either of your South Park fans but I just uh re the episode where they read Catcher in the Rye and they're like what some or Butters reads it and he <laughs> says kill John Lennon <laughs> and so it's it, I don't know it reminds me of that it's like it's not the text, it's the person. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I mean, this is kind of Rorty's point. Like, the world is not going to tell you how to be a good person. You need to kind of surround yourself with good people and people that are going to be loving and people that are, you know, because we're trying to get truth out of objects that don't give us Mm. truth, like, you know, matters in the world or books, um, we we end up becoming basically really cruel people (laughs) as a result of that. And the point, Rorty would say, is, just don't be cruel. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: think that that's Jesus's point yeah, too right. when we get right <laughs> down to
2: it, you know? Absolutely.
1: Well, well uh, we've hit about an hour here. Um, Kerwin, do you want to throw in any last thought or?
0: No, I think that was great. I really do. I think you just wrapping it up with that, like, surround yourself with these individuals that are loving and compassionate so that you as well can go out and be loving and compassionate, right? Don't just restrict yourself to those people. Like, Go out and show that love. By your actions not by imposing them right i think is a great way to wrap it up david thank you
2: yeah thank you and justin and kerwin what a joy to be with you and i'm very very grateful for your time and to the listeners that are listening i'm just incredibly thankful that you made it this far <laughs> and i hope that we'll all have the chance to be together again because i really yeah, enjoyed absolutely. this uh, david you. is
1: there any I, I know you're working on stuff um and so what are you working on where can people uh get to know you better So as you mentioned, I I do these podcasts.
2: So The Francis Effect is certainly a place where folks can find me and Things Not Seen are the places that folks can find me. Uh, I do teach at uh, the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University Chicago, and we always love to get students, so please look me up, uh, and I'm happy to tell you about the program. I am working on two books, one that's uh, coming out called The Covert Magisterium, Mm -hmm. uh, which kind of looks at the way in which you know, when when the Protestants said we're going to get rid of the teaching office of the church and it's just going to be us and the Holy Spirit, the thesis of that book is no. <laughs> Actually, the editors came in and started putting in footnotes to sh- kind of show you how to read the book, <laughs> and I got I got to this thesis because I would be teaching Bible, and I'd ask one of those hard Brueggemann questions, you know, like mm-hmm. I learned from from Walter Brueggemann, like, you know, the text is, is, is not saying something clear here, what do we do with it? And the students would immediately come up with an answer, and what I realized is that they were going to the bottom of the page, and their study Bibles were answering all the weird questions with footnotes. Mm. And so I started kind of looking at that and and seeing how the footnotes and the editorializations act as a kind of covert mm-hmm. magisterium. Mm-hmm. And then the other book that I'm working on for Yale Press that I'm finishing before the end of the year, goodness gracious, um, and I'm thankful to finally be done with it, is uh, called The Accessorized Bible. And the that is kind of extending some of those same ideas in the first book and drawing to a conclusion that says kind of what I said a moment ago, which is, you know, if if we are looking at the Bible expecting it to be loving for us, mm. we're missing the point, and that the Bible accessorizes mm. uh, any kind of position that we have, it just like a just like a piece of fashion or an accessory to a crime. Mm. Mm. And so we we need to be very very careful about the company that we keep when we're uh, when we're reading the Bible. So those are all places that folks can find right. me. But then again, I'm also always on Twitter, so you can find me there awesome. too. Okay. Well,
1: David, thanks again. Um, we'll yeah we'll talk to you soon see you on twitter (laughs) all that good stuff (laughs) thank you again